Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's the first Sunday of the church year, as you've heard me say already. The ancient name for today is Adte Lavavi. Logan, can I hear you say Adte Lavavi? Adte Lavavi. Good job. These are the first words of the introit in Latin. Ad te lavavi. To you, and then we supply, O Lord, because it's the, he's the object. To you, I have lifted up. Ad te lavavi. It kind of sounds like a spell that you might hear in a Harry Potter movie. Something that Harry Potter and the clan might learn at Hogwarts. Ad te lavavi. But it comes from something far more powerful than a book of spells. It comes from Holy Scripture, God's very Word breathed out for us to read and recite. So we know the law and we know the gospel. Or as the gospel has come down to us from Old English, the good spell. Do you know the gospel actually came from good spell? Yeah. The introit, as you can see in the bulletin insert, is from the 25th Psalm. To you, O Lord, Yahweh, I lift up my soul, O my God. Which is really the only way you should use that phrase. Don't ever use it in the flippant uh, way. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. This is our prayer, right? Every Christian, if he is indeed a Christian in spirit and truth, and not a pretender who merely calls himself by Jesus' name, every Christian wants to be taught the paths of the Lord. We want to know the ways of our God. Right? And not just to know them intellectually, as if the ways of the Lord were facts for us to regurgitate on a history quiz and never remember after the test is turned in, which is honestly how we do school these days. But as we said in the introit, so the Lord would lead us in his truth and teach us God's paths are for walking on, for traveling down. His ways are truly meant for us to live out. You are meant to live according to God's ways. The Christian wants nothing more than to do that without failing. Teach me your ways, O Lord. This is why our failing to live according to God's ways torments our souls. We fail to live as we've been taught and that haunts us. It keeps us up at night. It vexes our souls. Oh, I am the chief among sinners or I cannot live the way I know I'm supposed to. And we hate it. We hate it. We loathe it when we break God's law when we sin. When we know what God would have us do, how he would have us live, what paths 
He would have us walk down, and yet we do something else, something different than what he's revealed in his holy scriptures. For the Christian, there's nothing more bothersome than his own sinfulness. I'm not worried about your sins so much as I'm worried about my own. These are the ones that bother me. As your pastor, sure, I'm here to help, but as a Christian, I got my own worries, kid. I got my own sins, and they're far worse than yours from my perspective. The same is said from yours, your perspective to others. It's why the gospel of Christ Jesus is such good news. Why the triumphant entry we heard about in the gospel, Jesus coming into Jerusalem to die for us, is the good spell that fills our sin-hurt hearts with peace. It is like a spell is cast over us. And in the midst of all this sin, all this heartache and hurt, we can have peace. That is only possible through Christ, the gospel, the good spell. It is true. Blessed is he, Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 21, 9. Jesus came into the world to die for you on his cross so you wouldn't have to suffer the penalty for your sin. For not living according to God's ways that you know for wandering off the path that's clearly marked and trampling underfoot the wilderness beside it. But he also came into the world to live for you on God's path, according to God's ways, so that you would have a perfect life attributed to you, so you wouldn't be left with your sin-filled life on Judgment Day, but would have his holy life to claim as your own a well-lived, perfect life given for you. What a good spell it is. Jesus' work of atonement on the cross. It's his gospel that moves the Christian to want to learn God's ways and walk on his path. It's not because we have to. I want to live your way, Lord. I want that. It's because of the gospel that it can, it can be said of Christ's disciples, true Christians, they went and did as Jesus directed them. Perfectly no, but that's what they wanted to do. It's because Jesus willingly died for me that I want to live for you. It's because he loves you and was sacrificed for you that you want to love others and sacrifice yourself for them. And so we read in Romans 13, 8 through 10, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, the ways of the Lord are summed up in this word, Paul says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, Love is the fulfilling of the law. We are called to love. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. That's why we were created before the fall. And that's what we've been called back into. 
after the ascension of Christ. That is, you are instructed by Holy Scripture to fulfill the law, to know the ways of the Lord so that you will actually live by them. They do you no good. In fact, they do you greater harm to know them and not live by them. It would be better for you to not know them than to see them up there and go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, eh, not for me today. That's worse for us. We want to be taught them and to know them so that we can implement them in our lives and walk according to them. Not for our own benefit. We don't have to do anything to get to heaven. Jesus did everything for us, but for the benefit of others. Love always is outward focused. Love is not self-love. That's phooey. Take self-love and kick it to the can. I don't care about me. You shouldn't care about you. Love is for the other person. Nothing can happen to me. Christ died for me. What are they going to do? Take away my birthday? So I'm going to go love the other person. And this isn't just rhetoric. God's commandments. You shall not commit adultery, as Paul says. Not, you shall not murder, as he says. You shall not steal. You shall not covet from our Romans 13.9 reading. And all the rest, he says, all the commandments. These are just some of the examples he gives. Have been given to us so we would know how to love other people. Want to love someone? Strive to keep the commandments. That's it. That's how you do it. You cannot say you love your spouse if you're cheating on your spouse. I don't care how you feel in your heart. Oh, I love her. No, you don't. You're literally not loving her when you're cheating on her. But I feel, I don't care about your feelings. You're literally not loving her because love is objective. It's not about your feelings. No matter what hallmark leads us to believe. You cannot say you're loving your neighbor if you harbor anger for him in your heart. That's breaking the fifth commandment. Jesus says your anger toward your neighbor is equivalent to, is equivalent to murder in God's eyes. Oh, I love him. Bah! No, you don't. That's not love. You cannot say you love someone and then rob him. I'm doing this for his own good. Coveting what someone else has isn't love, but lust, because you're taking it from the other and toward you. Lust is self-motivated. Love is neighbor-motivated. That's the difference. It's to want what's not given to you. It's to put yourself before your neighbor. Love always puts your neighbor before the self. That's what sets Christians apart from everyone else. That's the distinction. We could care less about ourselves because we care everything about other people. That's how we're supposed to live. I know we don't do that perfectly. That's why we repent. That's why Christ did that perfectly for us, to pick us up when we fall. The Holy Spirit tells us to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He says, let us walk properly, not in orgies. And that, that word means destructive revelry. It's not necessarily what you think it means in English. It means riotous revelry. It's like, it's like when your team wins the Super Bowl and you go out in the streets and you flip over cars and burn down buildings. That's an orgy. It's riotous revelry. Destruction at a celebration. And not in drunkenness. And those two things normally go together. Not in sexual immorality. Any sex outside of marriage is immoral. This isn't about what sort of sexual acts are immoral. No. 
Out of the marriage bed, immoral, Paul says. And not in sensuality. Another word that we, we kind of don't really digest enough. Sensuality means lewdness, being crass, filthy, vulgar, unwholesome. That's all caught up in sensuality. And we don't think of it that way, do we? Sensuality is usually like, I'm being sensual. That was creepy. I know, I won't do it again. Uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's really vulgar. It's, well, you get it. Not in quarreling and jealousy, he also says. But put on Jesus Christ and make no provision, no excuse, no allowance for the flesh. That is, for sin. Don't let your fleshly desires overtake your soul. Let your soul be in charge of your flesh. Oh, just one more Oreo. No, put the Oreo down. That's called gluttony. This is a real example from my life. Oreos, love them. Don't give provision for the Oreo. That's why my, my wife sins against me every time she goes shopping and brings them home. Like, why are you doing that to me? We cannot claim to love while we, bring home, while we are breaking God's commandments. When we do, we reveal that we don't know the definition of the word love. The law and love go together. In his Romans commentary, Luther notes that if you want to love, if you want to live the Christian life, if that's your goal, maybe it's not, but if that's your goal, you will then, quote, thoroughly learn to know your own faults so that you can humble yourself and fear God. Otherwise, Luther says, you will wrongly regard yourself as holy when you're not. You'll deceive yourself. The one who says he's trying to live life according to God's ways, on God's paths, but doesn't want to humble himself, doesn't want to learn what Holy Scripture says, and let it form him. We all got to be honest. We like to do this. If we're going to venture into Scripture to learn from it, we always put up a guard. I want to learn from it, but not necessarily so it does anything to me. I want to learn, but I don't want it to form me. I don't want it to change me. What if I bump into something in Scripture that says what I'm doing is wrong? I'm going to have to change that. And so then we start doing theological gymnastics to not have to deal with it. Or it's always for the other person and never for me. Luther says, again, that person who wants to live by God's ways will find, who doesn't want to live by God's ways will find himself sluggish in helping his neighbor. Even though he greatly desires everyone else to be kindly disposed toward him, attend to him, and serve him, he will be sluggish toward serving them. He will also, granted that he's being honest with himself, which we hardly ever are, find that he is an enemy and a traitor to his brethren. She just wants to kneel for prayer. (laughs) A slanderer and full of sins from top to bottom. So who's being honest with himself this morning? Who recognizes he hasn't put himself last and his neighbor first? Do Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Jesus loved his neighbor as himself. He puts you and he put me before him. He laid down his life so that you could take it up again in baptism. So it could be your life because he loves you. 
He put your welfare before his own because he loves you. He died so that you wouldn't have to die. He was resurrected so that you would be resurrected too when your body does die. Because Jesus loved you, you will live forever. Though death will touch your body, it will never clutch your soul. And it won't hold your body for long. You will get up from the grave. You will get up when Jesus returns, never to die again. In Jesus, we have a model of the ways of the Lord, how to keep the law. He shows us how to walk on his paths, how to fulfill the commandments of God, how to love. As we look at Jesus as our model, raises a question in our hearts. How am I doing so far? How's your footing on the paths of God? Because mine is awful. Far too often I fail to love. I fail to keep the commandments of my Lord, though I know very clearly, and I would say better than most what they are. Commandments are the definition of love, right? And so I, knowing love very well, fail to love. I would say that Luther described me, I am full of sin from top to bottom. So full, I'm overflowing with sin. You too? Yeah, you too. And Taylor Bobby! Yes! Yes, Lord! This is why you entered Jerusalem. To triumphantly die for me, an overflowing sinner. You've covered all my sins and all the sins of your disciples here today. You've given me and all these, your people, your life as their own. Because we can't love as we ought. Because we can't keep the commandments. Because we can't keep the law. Because we're that broken. Yes, yes, Lord, you are the gospel. You are the good spell, ad te lavavi. To you, O oh Lord, we lift up our souls. O oh God, in you we trust, in you alone. Let us not be put to shame. Let not our enemies exult over us, especially the enemy within. Make us to know. Your ways, O oh Lord, teach us your paths that we may live by your way today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Amen.